Hey, guys, if you missed out on the last conference in Nashville, Tennessee, you don't want to miss out on the next one. It's April 28th through May 3rd, Orlando, Florida, the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center. You made a mistake missing the last one. You don't want that to happen again on this one. Five days of some of the best training you're ever going to experience packed into one event. We have an early bird special right now, $50 off. Use 24 early bird on our website, streetcop.com. Look for the conference. Click the link. Register today. If you want to get significantly better at this profession in five days, don't dare miss out on the 2024 Street Cop Conference. How's everyone to do today? I'm Kenny Williams with Street Cap Training. I teach Interdiction Mastermind, and today we're having another roundtable discussion. I'm going to try to do this once a month to give people an opportunity to have one-on-one questions answered, uh, maybe to benefit their career, or just questions they have in general. So we'll start with uh, Dave, and then we'll go around the table and introduce and talk about where you work or not, whatever you guys prefer. Hey, I'm David. I work at the Boulder Police Department here in Colorado. I've been with them about three and a half, coming up on four years. I work patrol, uh, PTO, and one of the SWAT snipers for the team. And I'm uh, currently on baby leave, so wrapping up some paternity right now. Um, yeah, that's a Jake. Uh, my name is Jacob Gage. I'm, I work with the Allegan County Sheriff's Office, just south of Grand Rapids, Michigan. I am on the traffic unit. I've been on there for about one year out of the almost three years I've been with the department. I'm uh, just trying to improve my uh, dedication to the interdiction side of the my patrol and going from there. Blake? Uh, my name is Blake Zimmerman. I work for a uh, medium-sized agency in the metro Atlanta area. been in law enforcement for about 10 years, uh, but just recently started this new agency. It's a brand new agency, and we are starting up a, a canine unit and a crime suppression unit, and uh, we've got decent chunk of uh, I-75, so we want to sharpen our skills for uh, interdiction on the big big highway. Awesome. Jess? Hi, I'm Jess. I work in the Northeast Ohio area, uh, municipality, Avon Police Department. I have a canine. Um, had him for about three years. Single purpose, so uh, just a sniffer, sniffer dog. Um, we have uh, several state routes, main interstate that runs through um, so always, always interested in this kind of stuff, trying to get better. What kind of dog do you have? A lab, British lab. Yellow, black? Yeah, he's sort of like Auburn reddish. Um, oh, really? Yeah, he's he's a he's a cute dog for sure. Awesome. I love some gingers, so that's a, that's a plus. There you go. <laughs> All right, we'll go with Dave, and you can ask the first question, man. Yeah, so, you know, in our area, we're seeing, I think, all over the U.S., you guys are everyone's seeing it, the fentanyl. Uh, it's one of the big drugs for us. It's uh, it comes in generally M20 little blue pills, little circles, um, which are um, I think acetaminophen. I was wondering if you guys see that package similarly in your areas, or if it's more regionally based. I think I saw somebody uh, post online they were getting more. Uh, it was like little yellow, um, almost like school bus pills in their region. So just curious what you guys are seeing and if fentanyl is as big for y'all as us. For me personally, yeah, we started seeing the, the blue M30s on the highway, maybe 2018, 2019. At the time we had not seen them at a local level. So when I came across them on the highway, I really just thought they were normal oxes. I didn't think anything of it. 
Um, I noticed that they're breaking down pretty easily compared to normal oxys. And then when we got it tested, it came back as fentanyl. But that was my first introduction with them. And I was rather careless with it, I guess, you know, thinking that they're pills like oxys and not fentanyl. And uh, so that was an eye opening experience for me. But we're seeing it more and more, even on a, on a local level, a small level, where we're catching guys with, you know, a pill or two here and there instead of the bulk that's traveling across country. We're also seeing Xanax. Um, we've seen Viagra. I think that's the only three. I've heard some people talk about Aleve, that they're making Aleve with it. Uh, and we've seen every color from like a green, blue, yellows, like that kind of spectrum. I know across the country, they've seen like every color, like purples and reds. But we usually see like the green, yellows, and blues, either Xanax or the the M30s on a pretty consistent basis. Anyone okay. else? No, you guys haven't seen the Oxy yet. Uh, yeah, we've seen the the small blue pills just on a street level, but nothing, no major deals or anything. Cool. Midwest guys, have you guys seen them? Yeah, we have. Same thing. I mean, I haven't come across any personally any bulk but just user amounts just here or there i mean um you know your opiate quote-unquote opiate users and uh tylenol a couple agencies are around us not ours but a couple in the in the county have seen um like fake press tylenol pills that's the first i've heard of that but that, i think that anything any pill has the capabilities these days to have fentanyl on it uh, it's easy way to disguise it. It's easy way to transport it. So it makes sense. We should, but I don't know if you guys still, we still see like uh, either like foils or like little baggies of the opiate base, either fentanyl or even heroin mix um, beyond the pills. So we still see both. I think that we probably see the powder stuff more often than we see the pills on a user basis. Yeah. All right, Jake. Uh, I guess my first question is going to be, what's the most popular uh, drug seizure you're getting with quantity this time? Let's think. So we'll go with this year, I guess. The the biggest one is powdered fentanyl. Um, in March, I had a seizure of 10 kilos of fentanyl and four that no one knows yet. The DA still hasn't got back. So uh, I, I almost think it's that like xylazine or some shit that they're like using. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know why that the lab came back with the 10 almost immediately that it were all fentanyl. And then these four, they've waited on it was a four months now and I still don't have the results. But I, I think the opiates are huge. Um, I think that's what we see the most of. I'm just trying to think cocaine is probably the least and then meth is you know, somewhere in the middle from us. Okay. What about you in Colorado? Primarily, I mean, we're still getting, um, I mean, primarily it's fentanyl. We still get the, the daily meth and and everything else um, on our local, just street level seizures. Um, DTF might be doing something a little different or seeing a little different, but um, on patrol level, primarily fentanyl. I, I think it's rare that we get an arrest um, that someone doesn't have a, a blue pill on them or two. Um, we, I had one, one guy that had the, the big bag of powdered fentanyl, but primarily it's just the pills. Awesome. Yeah, so um, in Boulder, it's, I mean, obviously it's a city um, environment, more urban. If you, we, we often have very limited times between calls for getting into proactive work and some days are better than others. But if you had very limited time, uh, how would you spend your time if you wanted to start getting into more proactive work between calls? 
I know it's so a very my, open question. Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you like how I did it. When my first five years, I worked nothing but just general patrol assignments. And I would do it two ways. Either I would sit at a at a like a, a good area in my city that was a few blocks out of a major source for our local users. So I would sit maybe a few blocks at, and it was the major thoroughfare. Behind me was a gas station and behind that gas station was a very small neighborhood that there was only one way in and out basically. And there's no justification if you're going from where you were coming from to buy narcotics to say a county over or a county south of us to go through that neighborhood. So if they saw me and heard if they made like a right turn into that neighborhood or something along those lines, I would set myself on the busiest thoroughfare from point A to point B kind of, and I would watch the people leaving that narcotic source area. Or I would always, depending on where I was assigned that, that day, I would sit by hotels, motels, right off the, the interstate, gas stations, truck stops, and I would just kind of troll there. If I worked in a, a more of our city stuff and I wasn't maybe on the outskirts of town, I would identify dope houses and I would go by and I would literally write plates down that were at the house. And then I would go answer my calls. And then hopefully in between those calls, I might see one of those cars that had been at that dope house later in the day, maybe later in the week or something along those lines and try to make contact with them somehow. And those are the ways that I would always just keep myself motivated and try to be as proactive as I possibly could. Jake? Dennis will love this. I, uh, I'm a traffic car, like I explained. Uh, so I write my citations that I am responsible for. Um, but on the side of that, I try to get those uh, taken care of and I try to get out there and practice my interdiction game. With that, I, uh, I make a lot of traffic stops within my shift. And what I'm looking for is, um, besides your everyday soccer mom, where you make contact four to five, maybe six minutes, is extending that stop with reasonable suspicion. Is there anything when it comes to federal case law that would uh, cause me an issue extending my stops with that reasonable suspicion? Um, compared to dealing my everyday soccer mom, writing her a citation for a speed violation without that, you know, that conflict of time. So there's no set time. The, the, the courts, I don't think, will ever set a time limit when you have reasonable suspicion. The, like our job as cops, no matter what anyone thinks, is to investigate reasonable suspicion. That's our job. We, we are supposed to be out there preventing crime from happening, stopping it before it happens. That's our job. Reasonable suspicion gets us there. So if you now, if you're just, I, you know, like you could go to court, I'm required to write these. I saw no human behavior. It was simply, you know, she was speeding in a school zone. I have to make this many citations per my department or this many stops. There was nothing else. I literally gave her the citation. Then in this case, I was watching traffic and I observed the car do this, this, and this, which I was already, you know, I watched a thousand cars today. This is the only general lady that did this, this, and this. You're already starting to build that reasonable suspicion from the moment you have contact with them and then whatever their story is and go from there. So there's no set time. And if you if your normal traffic stop for speeding with nothing else there, she's just in the school zone, you're working your, your traffic detail, you stop citation, but there was no other human behavior besides that speed. That's that's completely independent from someone that is doing some other stuff that is leading you to believe that there's something else there. So now as cops, we kind of fail at that. We know that there's something's wrong, but we can't articulate it. But if you're able to articulate it, the courts have ruled like if you can't get a dog there, some courts, some federal courts, it's like I know 75 minutes, 55 minutes, 45 minutes to get a dog to your scene. Um, so like the courts have ruled, you know, like there's if you have reasonable suspicion, it's on you to explain it. You have an extended amount of time to get a dog there. 
Now your traffic stop itself, theoretically seven to 10 minutes without any type of reasonable suspicion. Now, if you extend that without reasonable suspicion, the court's gonna ask a lot of questions on why you did that. As long as you can articulate your reasonable suspicion, your traffic stop that's normally say five minutes can extend considerably longer, especially if you need a dog. The courts, I don't know, the courts have ruled up to 75 minutes in some federal uh, circuits. So I think you'll be all right, as long as you can explain it. Okay. Just because I, I guess my biggest concern is my interview tactics are different when I have those kind of contacts. But if you're, if, are you able to articulate the reasonable suspicion? So like if you're seeing human behavior, what's leading to that one car compared to the soccer mom that's speeding in a school zone, right? Absolutely. Then you did. Then that's all you have to explain. But from when I'm working interdiction, my stop, my narrative starts the moment I see that car. So the moment <laughs> I see it is the moment I start talking about what it's doing, what drew my attention to it, all these types of things. Now, if I'm just going to work, I don't know, a grant where it's traffic enforced based in the school zone, it's a different detail where I, you know, I'm not, maybe I am looking for that, that human behavior, but I'm also stopping people that are just speeding in a school zone without any human behavior, because that's what that grant is directed me to do. Cool. Sounds good. Like, yeah. So our cars aren't set up at the moment to do any kind of safe front seat uh or passenger seat interviews so when you're doing interdiction and you're looking to do you know your interviews do you have a preference as to like standing at their car and doing the interview while you're working on your citation or bring them back to your car or you know second to obviously front seat interviews what's your next best uh tactic when i stop cars i, I want the driver out of the vehicle uh, i feel it's a huge safety hazard it's an, it's a huge box it's unchecked they have free movement. They know what's in the car. You don't know what's in the car. Uh, preventing pursuits, like all kinds of things. So at minimum, I just feel that if you were to have them step out of their car, you have your, you know, your ticket or warning book ready. I like to stand on the passenger side of my car. So traffic wise, I mean, depending on where you stop cars, but theoretically the traffic's right. going to be on your driver's side. So I kind of, and I, I usually have them have their back to their car and we're just standing there talking as I'm, you know, writing the, the citation out or warning out. Um, that is my, my, second favorite compared to um the front seat but up here i mean if i didn't use the front seat there's four or five months that is absolutely freezing so like i, I you know like i i'm not there's no way that i can make someone stand outside when i'm not willing to stand outside um, right so that's kind of why the front seat has kind of evolved for me uh, as the most common practice oh. dave yeah are you seeing uh you got to talk from a drug portion but I are you seeing any new trends in the way things are being trafficked right now, whether that's signs um, of uh, uh, compartments or traffic vehicles, something like that, that's picking out more? Is it all is it all fairly random? I still think it's, I, I think a lot depends on the organization. I feel that a lot of organizations though, have got away from, I can't say all the time, but rental cars, I feel like they know that have to look for those. So I'm seeing more personally owned uh, cars or like, um, like, was it like Verbo or something where you can like use someone else's car? So it's a personal car. You rent it from a, a person. So it's not, doesn't look like a rental car. And then they'll use some things like that, or it's not a Hertz, an enterprise, something along those lines. I, I feel like they're trying to use more personal cars, uh, than, than the rental car game. Okay. And you think that's, uh, something else could be like, uh, compartments 
um, vehicles that are obviously they've taken the time to set these up and build them. Um, do you feel that's more like the larger organizations that are putting those together, or can that be as simple as just local guys that want to get caught? I I, I think it goes both ways. So I yeah. think if you're dealing with an organization that's taking cross country trips, that's going to be an organization part. But do I feel that like the guys out east they see a lot of guys that not necessarily organization cars, but guys that, you know, have compartments to hide guns because the guns on the East Coast are so, you know, taboo. So guys will have smaller compartments to hide guns. They'll have big compartments to hide narcotics too, but I, that's a more, um, those cars typically are more localized in the Northeast. And I feel the same thing with where I work. We see localized compartments that, you know, within a five or six state area, um, and they make those shorter trips with the smaller compartments. But then we still occasionally see the, the, the cross-country car with, you know, a massive compartment loaded. So it just all depends. But I, I feel that if you're getting local compartments, it could be very well that that's just a local, a local guy that works for an organization or even a personal guy that's protecting his own product at that point. Oh, thank you. Hmm? Jake? Yeah, uh, I, I asked a few questions with my partners and uh, to ask questions for you. Um, one of them was uh, examples of um, contesting, challenging uh, drivers when it comes to exiting the vehicle. Do you have examples on how you ask people to step out of the vehicle without any kind of contest or challenge? I feel 100% that comes to communication and your approach as an officer. Um, if you're very authoritative, very robotic, kind of jerk, like it's not going to go very far. So I'm like, I try to downplay it. I try to, you know, just make it seem their 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 infraction is you know it is what it is it's not a, it's not a huge deal so i downplay everything uh you know i'm empathetic i explain you know i don't get argumentative um highway's different than city stuff though um and i feel that you know all, all i do is i can't hear them really well so i'm trying to explain everything cars are going by 70 miles an hour it's not very safe for you know me to be staying out there explaining things so i explain the reason i stop them i ask them for their stuff and then as they're grabbing their stuff I'll ask them just to step back and I'm like, you could either, you know, stand on the passenger side of my car, you can have a seat in the front seat, it's up to you, whatever you prefer. Um, it's very rare that that it's contested at that point, um, but occasionally it happens. And sometimes it's just more of talking and explaining of the the reason why. And as soon as you're, you don't become angry about it and you just explain the reasons why, most people are very understanding and they're like, oh, okay, okay that makes sense. Just being able to communicate and, and talk your way through that stop will help you out tremendously. Sounds good. Hey guys, follow us on all social media platforms to include Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook group. We have so much information going on every single day and we don't want you to miss out on any of that stuff. So check it out. Go give us a follow. Like, Yeah, so we are, uh, I've been a handler before, but we're starting up our canine unit that's going to be part of this uh, crime suppression interdiction team. So what, tips do you have as far as, and they're going to be dual purpose dogs, not single purpose. Uh, so what tips do you have for working on the interstate, you know, when it comes to the interviews and uh, just in general, what, like what challenges are there and how do you overcome them? Make sure your dog doesn't bark every time you stop a car. I think that's huge. <laughs> like I, some of the guys that I work with, I would, I don't know how they, I would like go crazy the amount of that their dog barks. So I think that's huge. You don't want to, you can't like really do much. You can't accomplish much if you're having people stand next to your car and a dog the entire time. People are already going to be intimidated and afraid of that situation. So um, I think that's, that's huge. Um, 
I know it's challenging when it comes to dual purpose dogs because when they see the lights go on, they think that they get to go, not necessarily go sniff for drugs. They could do a multitude of things that are way more fun to them than just sniffing a car for narcotics. So I think they get that elevated, but I think that that's the biggest hurdle for a dual purpose dog is keeping the dog quiet during a traffic stop. Okay. And I, I have not, knock on wood, I haven't had to deal with that. Um, some of our guys have used positive reinforcement. So the dog's quiet during a traffic stop. They, you know, they'll give them something uh, during that traffic stop when they're being quiet. And, and if they start to bark during a traffic stop, maybe some negative reinforcement, uh, just so they know what, the, what to do and what not to do. But I think if you stop it from the beginning and don't let it continue, that's gonna be the best way and the easiest way. Yeah. Do you have any issues or challenges being your own handler running your own stop and like being the all-in-one thing? Uh, I have not had that contested. Uh, I don't see, I looking at it, I, I, if anything, I think having your own dog, you're being the least invasive as possible. Now we don't have to detain you longer to get a dog here, all these other things. It all takes place almost simultaneously. Like, So it, I have not had anyone contest that yet maybe they will i just don't know what the argument would necessarily be because if i would say okay well then i won't run my dog but now i'm gonna i have reasonable suspicion so now your client's gonna sit here for the next 40 minutes till i get another dog here i i you know i feel like i'm if anything i'm being uh the most practical and and your client is getting you know the shortest treatment if my dog doesn't lurk and there was a reasonable suspicion for whatever reason it is what it is and you're, then you're on your way so if i waited 40 minutes that I feel like that would be more invasive to, to their client than the way we currently do it. Right. That makes total sense. Jess? Somebody brought up the compartments. Um, how often do you get, you know, on your stops, um, empty compartments? Or maybe, you know, it was you're in between or you missed the load or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, empty compartments are very disappointing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I bet we, I'm trying to think. A few times a year, we'll be a completely aftermarket compartment. We get excited. Um, we get into it, and there's nothing there. And Ohio has some good laws about compartments. Indiana, we have one that's it's a misdemeanor, basically. Like the if yeah. it's a compartment that's used to conceal contraband or narcotics, uh, and I don't, I don't know the words, but it's it's under our paraphernalia statute. Um, so we have that misdemeanor caveat there. Um, typically we don't charge it if it's empty, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it, it happens, I would say two times, one, two times a year, three times, maybe I'm trying to think of also maybe probably three, I think last year we got three, but it's, it's not very common, but it, it does happen. Now I've never found an aftermarket compartment that had anything legitimate in it. It's either been contraband or it's been empty, but it's never like, oh, I keep my, uh, my, my, yeah. my, my sports cards in there or some shit, you know, it's, it's literally like. Contraband or nothing. Right. Jake? Uh, next question would be for interdiction. Uh, when it comes to night first day, what are some tips that we could uh, differentiate when it comes to the night enforcement? I love working at night. I think it has tons of benefits. Um, for me, I would sit in a well-lit area. I, and I'm still looking for the same types of things. Traffic's a lot thinner, so you might be able to see a lot more of the drastic lane changes of the drastic braking. Uh, what I would look for is one thing that I, that I commonly look for is 
if someone's approaching me and say they're going within the speed limit, and all of a sudden I see the red lights like on the trees or other cars behind them, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, it, it, is it more difficult to see a lot of the, you know, the drive behaviors? It can be, but I don't know if you guys have rumble strips and stuff like that. I have my music off, my windows down, and I'm just listening more, and, you know, picking up on the smaller things that, that I can compared to at night or during the day when I can see everything. But I try to sit in a well-lit area and always stop cars in a well-lit area. It's like, so I kind of sit more either by like rest areas or, or something along that line where there's lots of lights so I can see more of the vehicle. And then when I stop the car, I feel that all the light helps me out. I can see more things within that car too. Okay. Yeah. So being that we're a new agency and everything, what, like if money were no object and you could have, you know, anything you want to start up here on interdiction unit, what are the things that would be at the top of your list? Training, equipment, uh, anything like that. I think training's huge. And I think that you have to go to a bunch of training where it involves cops that are going to teach from their own personal experience. I think that's huge because then it's more, you can understand it. If you have questions, they can elaborate on it. Um, but case loss foundational. Like, so I think like, if you want to break it down, I think case laws first, then you can go to like more application of case law, then you get into more interdiction. I think that's a great way to build up your knowledge. And as far as like uh, technology goes, license plate readers help. Um, I don't think that if you're going to rely on them and not understand the human aspect of interdiction and if you rely on, on license plate readers, um, I think that you're selling yourself short. But as far as tools, searching car uh, scope is huge for me. Like that's probably my number one tool. That's the meters. We have the handheld x-rays. They're super pricey and I legitimately don't have the most benefit in them. I don't trust them the most. I know for a fact that I've searched cars that were loaded. I used the x-ray. It didn't work. Uh, didn't pick up on things. Density meter and scope. You're going to, you can get those for maybe the combination. 19, 20 grand. An x-ray is like 45 or 50. If you're going to spend it, I would get the x-ray and density meter, or the, the scope and the density meter instead of the x-ray. The scope's huge though, man. If you get a scope for, and you got to, I mean, you, with any of that stuff, you're paying for what you get, you know? So if you're going to cheap out on that stuff, you're going to get a cheap version of it. We spent 10 grand on our scopes. I've had them seven years and it's still my favorite tool when it comes to searching. Okay. See behind dashes. It can go in gas tanks, like it's it's waterproof, the gasoline that doesn't mess it up or anything like that. It's, it's good stuff. Man. And then the density meter helps with like being very non-invasive in cars. Now you can check seats without having to pop panels. You can check spare tires without having to, you know, do other means to like make sure that they're clear. And it's very, it, it's not invasive to the owner of that vehicle or the driver of that vehicle. Right. Cool. A dog's good too. Thanks. Do what? A dog's good too. <laughs> yes. Dave? In moving from the local users to the even the first level distributors, um, you know, I am I am maybe one in twenty on successfully getting somebody to talk me to the next step or who they got it from or something like that. And I'm the definition of uh, the nice guy cop, you know, working just some discretion on the little charges, getting them, you know, drinks, water, talking on the way to the jail, doing all this kind of stuff to the point where I'm like, all right, we are best friends now. I'm going to get into this. And it's one for 20. Do you have any advice on just how to work that in 
um, just to get that information to even pass on to the local DTF? Or is that something you even work when you find a load or is just a, a small user amount? Yeah, ultimately, my goal is never to arrest the mule. Like, it, like the mule's part of the, the pawn in the game. You know, I, and there's always a bigger fish that I'm trying to get to. And I feel that maybe your state and the politics there might be the issue with that, honestly. Um, and I feel that the users are always terrified of that middleman. But once you get that middleman, he's will, he knows what he's looking at time-wise. So he's willing to talk a little bit more. I feel like those lower level guys kind of are, I don't know, they're, they're terrified because the, the, the middleman is, the, you know, like the middleman can actually reach them and hurt them where, you know, I'm buying directly from that person. If I tell on that person, he knows a lot about me more than likely because I continuously go to the same guy. And then I, I feel like your politics there might have a play in that where they they know that they're not getting a lot of time, I'm guessing, with that kind of stuff. So they're like, why would I jeopardize uh, my, my, my safety? Uh, I know what I'm getting out of this situation and my safety is more important to me than going to spend, I don't know, however much time in jail or you know a deferral program or whatever it is. Now you get a guy that's going to look at like three years and he's buying from seven different guys, whoever he's buying from say an ounce of powder at a time, he probably can write off a guy or two. And that's where you're going to get that guy that's willing to talk. So that's, I feel yeah, the that's higher, and I feel like the higher they are in the game, it, as weird as it sounds, we get more cooperation from those people than the smaller people. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We, uh, you're, you're not wrong. I mean, we're ER bonding. Anything and everything. Uh, gotcha. So I, I consider the fact that there's really not a lot of, uh, not a lot holding them to going to jail for the night. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like they're, yeah, exactly. Their, their, their safety. They were spending that, that you know, minimum amount of time in jail. They're like, well, I could sleep this through and not have to worry about when I get out about what that guy's going to do to me or that girl's going to do to me when I get out if I told on it. Uh, all right. Awesome. Thank you, Kenny. Yep. Jake. Uh, so I have the benefit or our department has the benefit of two expressways on both sides of our county. We're one of the largest counties in the state. So we got 131 and 196, which uh, 196 comes up from Illinois area. So my big focus with my department is I have aspirations to be a K-9 with three trials this week. How can I inspire? Thank you. How can I inspire my department to focus more on the interdiction game and proving that there is a benefit from it? I think that your success when you have the limited ability to do it is going to dictate a lot. And I often get that question for me. I was lucky enough to get on a part-time assignment, but I, I guess, bugged enough right people to get there. Uh, I was kind of in the works with the, my administration too. If that didn't pan out, I was going to come out on my own time and do it for comp time. Um, Cause departments always complain that we don't have the manpower. We don't have the money. Well, now you've alleviated both those conversations. And if you're like, hey, man, I'll come out, I don't know, eight hours a week or four hours a week on my own time, you just let me do it. And then as soon as you start to have some success, I feel that they'll be like, okay, maybe we can afford you more opportunities up there. But I think that it has to be more self-initiated on you. And then once you start to have success, then it might change their perspective on it. Right, because my biggest frustration with our department is our canines are getting taken up by, you know, no disrespect, but death investigations, and they're off the road for two, two to three hours, and they're wasting valuable time with our canines. What, so, like doing like what, article searches or tracks or something like that. Like, what? Is, 
Is that the they, they, they're, they're actually taking complaints and uh, restricted to certain sections unless they're pulled away. And so a lot of times our canines aren't able to be proactive like we need them to be. I got you. So they, they basically your canine unit still has to answer calls, beat mm -hmm. calls. And stuff. I got you. Same with ours. Um, we probably don't have the same call volume as you do, but uh, it's yeah, same, same with ours. Just got to find that motivation to do it in short spurts. Mm -hmm. Like. Yeah, so I got kind of a two-part question. Uh, first part, do you, how much are you seeing stuff, apartments versus stuff that's just kind of, you know, in luggage or in bags or, you know, just a car that's not necessarily in a compartment in the car? And the second part is, how do you get better at, I guess, the compartment side of it? Like, I've had stops where I'm like, I feel like there's a compartment here, but I don't feel... I'm nervous about going and, you know, drilling into someone's car or, you know, breaking panels or stuff like that. So compartment wise, I would say, I don't know, maybe five a year um, and say we have, I don't know, 25 seizures a year, roughly. So say, I don't know, whatever that ratio is, maybe 20% uh, or so. Um, yeah. And when it comes to compartments, uh, I unless you absolutely know there's a compartment somewhere where you can't get access and it's aftermarket it's not just a natural void but there's action like you'll know when you know like you, i mean you'll see it it'll be very evident um but the only way that i was able to get good with that is i literally went to like brad gilmore's training i went to yeah. like jeremy Beddingfield's, like all these guys that talk about traps and and like even now i annoy a lot of those guys because i when they hit a trap i want to know everything about it and not so much that, like, I just want to know from my own personal knowledge, like, what did you see? Why did you go there? Like, those types of things. And I think that you have to educate yourself and understand what a normal car looks like, the inside of it, before you start to see those traps and things. But once you see it, you'll never unsee it. And and, and then it almost, they almost pop out even more. Like, you're like, oh, shit, that's not supposed to be like that. There's not supposed to be sheet metal there. There's not supposed to be speed carpet here. And then you start to see like different colors of carpets and cars and, and things like that where it's not normal and you're like okay not once you start to see one it's almost like a snowball effect but you i think you have to build that foundation uh of what compartments are where they're typically located in cars i mean they can be anywhere but when it comes to those you know aftermarket compartments with the quick access now if you put something i mean there's always limitations and i'm very limited when it comes to knowing the mechanics of a car so you start putting stuff in the engine block or transmission shit and like <laughs> i'm lost i don't even know how to change my own oil like so like fuck me like i ain't finding that shit but oh no, yes. i gotta jump off well, i appreciate you man appreciate it no no thank you man you be safe yes do you see a correlation between the experience or the number of times a driver's been stopped um or been caught let's say um, and their reactions to you, like the way that they respond, both their driving behaviors and then after you've stopped them. Uh, and it, I don't even think it's about being stopped. It's about their involvement or around narcotics, how long they've been involved in that game. Say, if I grew up and my cousin sold narcotics, and I've seen that since I was 10 years old, there's probably been times that my cousin said narcotics and I've been stopped and everything's been fine. So now all of a sudden that fear of law enforcement is going to go down, down and down. Now you send a guy that's like maybe on his first run as a mule and it, and you get stopped. He's going to have all of these huge stressors. So I just think, and you, and as time goes on, you'll see those, you'll see small things, but like the drastic, huge ones, typically those are people that are, have not been in the game very long, haven't been around it very long. 
and all of a sudden they're around a cop and you see all this like stress and, and, and adrenaline bumps and all these types of things. Now, when it comes to people that are a little more seasoned or been involved or been around it, you'll see minor things, but it just all depends on how long they've been around narcotics and how long they've been in the game themselves. Uh, and, but I've stopped guys that have been around narcotics maybe their entire life, never been arrested. So I, I, it doesn't have to be the rest. It just has to be the culture, I guess, like the, or, you know, their environment as a youth. Mm-hmm. Um, I see guys that are, have narcotics and they're super calm. Maybe their story doesn't make sense. Maybe I get them trip on something else, but their body behavior and their nervousness isn't there compared to a guy that probably has less narcotics. And this was his first time getting stopped. Make sense? Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Well, I appreciate you guys doing this. If you guys ever need anything, I'll be on the email thread. You can email me directly. And uh, I hope this helped. And I hope you guys have a safe and wonderful career. And reach out, please, if you ever need anything. Thank you, kid. Thank you, guys. Be safe. Yep. Thank you. You too. Hey guys, check out our upcoming training at streetcop.com. Don't forget, we have 50 instructors nationally teaching a variety of topics. These are the best classes you're going to experience in your career. We make sure of it. You're going to love it. I guarantee you, you're going to be thankful that you went. Check us out at streetcop.com for all upcoming classes in your area.